0: Hi, this is Stuart Wright. Just a little note at the beginning of this podcast. Um, As usual, it's on Skype and occasionally, and I mean occasionally, it it gets a bit garbled like there's an alien talking and it's a little bit inaudible, but rather than trying to edit it out, I've left it in as continuous talking. So just right over there, it won't sustain. It's probably about 15 seconds at the most of this 40-minute podcast. So shouldn't hinder your enjoyment any more than me waffling on could at the beginning. Alright, enjoy the next BritFlix.com podcast. It's the BritFlix.com podcast. It's the BritFlix.com podcast. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today with me, I've novelist screenwriter Dougie Brimson hello Dougie
1: hello you all right there I am fine thanks yeah
0: good cool. man good man now um we're talking today because uh, I, I saw a recent blog post of yours um talking talking about the the sort of end of um I think the end of filming of uh, Top Dog which is a an adaptation of a book you've written yeah do you want to tell us a little bit about what Top Dog is and when we can ex- when we might expect to see it? Um,
1: well, I first I first wrote the novel of Top Dog, and you know I can't even remember. I think it was about two thousand and four. It was okay. pre Green. It's pre Green Street. Okay. And um, really, to- it's the story. It's the sequel to a previous novel called The Crew, mm-hmm. uh, and involves the main central character, a guy called Billy Evans, and um, it, I had. After a meet, I met with um, Leo Gregory back in, about a year ago, uh, yeah, about a year ago from today, really. And uh, we discussed, um, we were discussing another movie I'd written, another movie project that I I really wanted to attach him to.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, we both discussed our experiences of Green Street, which weren't great, you know, it wasn't a great experience for either of us. And um, we, I asked him why he'd never done another one, because there'd been this kind of wealth of hooligan-based movies or movies around that culture. And he's kind of... He, he was kind of the standout performance in Green Street for many people. And uh, and he said, although he'd been offered him, there had never been one that kind of um, captured his imagination. Mm. So I said... Uh, and he asked me the same question, really, but the answer for me was, well, I'd, I'd never been asked. You know, and I'd, I'd kind of... After Green Street, I'd moved away from screenwriting, really. I'd lost interest in it. Mm. And, um... So I said, well, I've got an idea if you want to think about it. And I told him about Top Dog, which is the story of a guy who um, is a head of a hooligan group um, and who just, he takes it to to the next level in the pursuit of really, you know, his own personal uh, enjoyment more than anything else. Um, he take, tries to take it to the next level and the, and um, in the end of the day, he comes unstuck. It's, Jonathan calls it... Um, long good friday uh, okay. modern day version of long good friday and in many respects it is and um and that's really how it came about you know so um and that only came about through twitter you know purely because leo popped up someone else had retweeted well him, um, and, uh, and then was so top dog is really all down to social networking really
0: so yeah the important thing to note there for the listener is that uh yeah you were you were the screenwriter of Green Street one of the um one of the early 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 batch of um of football i guess one of the instigators of what was the uh, sort of football hooligan film yeah. um yeah. i was on the um i was an extra on the Green Street 3 in uh, yeah. I'll keep that quiet <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think equity are going to be looking for me. That's for certain.
1: And it's better, Well, I've I've not seen um, Green Street Two, and I'm probably never ever going to see Green Street Three. So, um, uh, I've I've only actually seen Green Street once, um, and that was purely because I, I they had to contractually invite me to the premiere, so I went out of sheer bloody mindedness, really.
0: Really? I mean, was, was the experience... I mean, you, you mentioned on that blog that, that got us talking that you'd had a bad experience with it. Was that just the general process of getting a film made, or...?
1: No, it, it was... It was just a... Uh, I, you know, I don't want to go into it too deeply because I've done, it, I've done it a lot before, but suffice to say, um, my, my opinions on how it should have unfolded were slightly different from the directors. OK. And uh, oh. the producers, and there was a lot of clashes on... Uh, during pre-production and uh, and in the end, in the end, you know I've, I've written about this before as well, I got banned from the set, and uh, because there was a, a particular scene that the actors didn't like that I never liked, and so I worked I helped the actors kind of redo the scene prior to mm. shooting, and it went down like a lead bloom because apparently that's um not the dumb thing for a writer to do that. No no, it's and, just... um, yeah, that was it really, so it, I, I walked away from it really before. Um, before it had wrapped.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I, put, I put because I tell myself, I mean I'm 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 screenwriting myself with a couple of features in, in development but nothing produced. I've done some short films yeah. and in essence the short films I've been doing have been to simply see how, how how far and wide it might go from my screenplay without me being actively involved with the assumption that yeah. there won't be much involvement on a feature film once the director gets their hands on it.
1: Well, I, 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 see. I came into screenwriting by accident. Uh-huh. Um, i I'd, I'd had, I'd been writing books up to that point. i done, I think, I'd done about seven or eight books up to that point. I, I think,
0: think. Can I just say, Dougie? Before, so, so, essentially, your background is you did eighteen years service in the RAF.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And in '96, you started to write where you wrote your first book.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I I co-wrote a book called Everywhere We Go with my brother. Okay. And that was that was released in uh 1996 just before Euro 96. Yeah. And then that led on to another three books I co-wrote with him. Mhm. And then um uh, it just went a bit crazy after that and I, we just I well, we went our separate ways. He wanted to do other stuff and um which was great and so I did my thing. And I, I just carried on writing and I, I fa- found an audience, you know, I was, I was very lucky. Mm-hmm. And um, it was that old adage, you know, find a niche and fill it, really. Well, create a niche and fill it. <laughs> and, um, and then out of the blue, I got a phone call from a guy called John Baird, who most people will know now as the guy who's just directed Filth, the Irving Welsh thing. And, um, and he asked me if I'd be interested in working with him on a short. Um, and I'd never done any screenwriting before. I'd, I'd never even considered it. In fact, I'd never ever set out to be a writer before. Mm. Um, and so I said yeah, and I I met him and we talked about what we wanted to do. And uh and we um and this was I was working on Green Street at this time, but we never knew that anything was gonna come of it. And um and so we did this short, which was called It's a Casual Life, which is still Regarded as, you know, having the best fight hooligan type fight scene ever committed to film,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that was twelve minutes. You can see it on YouTube. You can see it on YouTube, and um, and after and that led into. But but working with John was very collaborative. John, you know, John's a great, you know, a great bloke for pulling in. He knows what people do, he knows what he wants them to do, and he knows what they can do, and, he, you know, he let me get on with it. And on the set, which was mostly shot in uh, two days, well, it was shot pretty much over two days, yeah. um, you know, we was in each other's pockets, and it was brilliant. Now, I thought it worked like that all the time, because the only time I'd ever been on a film set before was as an extra. And as an extra, you are the bottom of the, you know, the bottom of the ladder anyway, so no one really talks to you, and certainly no one wants to hear your opinion. Yeah. So by the time I got to Green Street, it was I, I had no idea that writers were kind of you know once you hand over the script, that's it, done and dusted. Mm. And of uh, and course, and being about my subject, if you like, you know, it was uh, I naively expected to be consulted on certain things, uh, which didn't happen. But um, but I learned a lot of it. You know, I learned a lot on Green Street, um, primarily what not to do and who not to trust. <laughs> And um, but I after that, I I'd, I'd kind of it was a point of I'm never going to do that again. You know, I'm not I'm not interested in doing that again. And then a few years after that, um, a good few years, I got approached by a guy called Philip John, yeah, who's a director who's done a lot of stuff for the BBC. I think he's just doing Downton Abbey or he's just done Downton Abbey. Great bloke, a great bloke. And he asked me if I wanted to do some more, and through him, I got in. Introduced to a guy called uh, Raka Singh who did the killing of John Lennon, his producer, mm-hmm. and he encouraged me to do a lot more. and um, And I learned a lot off those guys. And then, of course, when it comes to working with, with Jonathan, I realised that um, if I write a script, even if it's based on my book, you know, by the time I hand it to the director, it beca- once I hand it to him, it's his project. Yeah, and and I might as well I might as well write it in pencil and um so and you, you think Kemp,
0: you think it's that malleable
1: from that point uh, that's that's how i approach it okay you know because it's my my vision of particularly when it's a novel you know based on a novel because i knew the characters inside out i know everything inside out because i you know i'd live with them for you know years yeah and so when i wrote the first draft i mean by the time it got to martin Kemp, i think we'd gone through three or four drafts already but they were still very much a first draft, if that makes sense. They were yeah, still very yeah. raw. Yeah. And then Martin got his hands on it and, and just tore every page to shreds, really, and says, well, you can't do this, I don't want that, that won't work, I don't need this, And uh, which is a, a kind of um, – it, it borders between humiliating, soul-destroying, and enlightening experience. Very weird feeling. You do kind of walk out of there like you've just been bollocked rigid.
0: Give me the enlightening bit then. Give me the give me the silver lining. <laughs>
1: the 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 thing he taught taught me more than anything else uh, was that if you're a right if you're a screenwriter, you've got to give the actors room to act. Okay. Because I'm looking at it as you know I'm I'm writing stuff down as as a an author. You write stuff down and you paint pictures in people's heads. You leave it open for them. Mm-hmm. Where it, as a screenwriter, you've got a you just put the nuts and bolts there and you watch the actors. Do it, and okay. um, and that taught me an awful lot to give them space to do what they've got to do, and uh, and he doesn't need directions in a script. He needs dialogue, and he needs the, ba- the the nuts and bolts, and it's his job to put the rest on it. And um, and he taught me he taught me an awful lot in terms of what I have to give him. It's his job to give the actors the rest, if that makes sense.
0: No, totally, yeah.
1: And um, and he's amazing. You know, he's absolutely amazing. From the first time we talked to him, really, we knew, and he was in L.A., we, Leo and I talked to him over Skype. He was in L.A., and we knew within three or four minutes that he got it, you know, that he was the guy for it. And um, he, he was amazing to work with, you know, absolutely amazing. But what he does is he, he's very good at delegating, he's very good at trusting, but he's also very good at listening. And there was a few scenes, particularly during the fight scenes, where he'd say, "Right, this is what I want, that's what I want," and I just go to him and say, "Martin, it doesn't work like that. This is how it works. You need more of this. You need more of that."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he'd say, "Right, let's do that." And this and is it, actually
0: on set. These conversations oh, this is on now? set,
1: you know, between okay. takes. Okay. You know, is is that is that receptive to input? Because he knows, you know, I know my subject. He yeah. knows the, the police guy knows his subject. All these guys know what they're doing, and um. And he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing to work for. And I think people are going to see that when it comes to Top Dog,
0: you know? I, in, in terms of the... Um, I mean, you talked a bit there about the kind of feedback you were getting and what you learned about what was needed from a script. But what? how did you find that initial transition from having written novels in the past to writing a screenplay? Um, how, how did it differ for you as, as an approach? It, it's,
1: it's a totally different... Uh, way of working, to- totally different. Um, because there's, there's, with a novel, you have got you know seventy five, seventy, well, eighty two thousand words, I think Top Dog is, and you've got to condense all of that into ninety minutes. And so it's what you leave out, and it, it's about picking, you know, and it, you know. Remember, I'm adapting my own book, yeah. so everything in that book is important to me, but to Martin, it's not. You know Martin is he picks the, he picked the story he wanted from Top Dog. Everything else was nifnaf, <laughs> so you've got to cut it out and then boost up. and one of one of the things he did, he said quite early on, "I need the women's roles boosting up." The reason being is we won't get good actresses to them. So when you're boosting the, the female roles up, that changes the a lot of the dynamics with the central character as well, which makes him more of a character. More gives him more personality, which gives Leo more stuff to work with. And it was little things like that which you think, yeah, that's right. And in, in many ways, if I could go back in, I don't want to talk about this bit too much, but to go back in and rewrite the book would make the book much better
0: mm.
1: because it gives me more – because I'd never considered the female roles as being important. It was all about um, the the central character. Yeah, and with with the script as well, I always know what the I write back to front, whether it's books or script. I always do the ending first. Okay, because and I'll I'll, re, I'll go over and over and over the ending. I mean, with a, particularly with a novel, I'll work on the ending until I don't have to edit it anymore. I know it's spot on, because everything else is about getting the reader or the viewer to that point. Mm-hmm. So you can take it off in any direction you like. You can go in any tangent as long as you come back to that same point.
0: It's a bit like a point on a GPS then, isn't it, really? I yeah,
1: suppose. absolutely. You know, it's like you type in RAC route plan, it'll give you all sorts of different routes, but you still end up at exactly the same house.
0: Yeah.
1: And with me, that's the way I, I work. I always have done. Now, what happened halfway through the script is Martin kind of changed. He says, we need to change the end because the end doesn't work. And there's a very particular reason why the end doesn't work. And as soon as he said that, I said, yeah, you're right. So what do we do? So we came up with a, a different ending to the ending in the book, which is even actually even better. Hmm. And so, um, and this goes back to what I was saying. This, uh, you know, the scripts I give him it, it might as well be in pencil, because every, everything is open to change. And I did say that to him very early on, I, and to Jonathan, I said, "I'm not, you know, everything is open to debate, everything." You know, all I've given you is words on a page and a rough outline of a story. Everything is open for discussion. And even on set, you know, Leo would say, I don't like this. I don't want to say that. I don't, you know, I think we should do it this way. I think we should do it the other way. Okay, let's go. Go. But sometimes that would happen. I wasn't even there. You know, they'd just say, Martin would text me or ring me up and say, look, we want to change this. And I'd say, you don't have to ask me, just change it. If you think it makes it better, just change it. And it was a great way of working, you know. If uh, because if I dug my heels in, all you're going to get is animosity, and they're going to do it anyway. I know that. So you know, go with it because it's it's a completely different thing to me. The way I learned to write scripts was simply by reading scripts and trying to work out how they work and how it all works. And if you read, I'd give this advice to anybody: if you watch a movie. And a big movie,
0: yeah.
1: Get the script and read the script as you're watching the movie, fantastic experience because you now have to learn a lot, you really, really do about how things are structured and how they work. And it's a really, I the first one I ever did was Terminator 2, which was really interesting a really
0: interesting experience. But it is
1: a really good way to learn,
0: yeah. Mine was, um, mine was Taxi Driver, yeah. Well, there you go, I couldn't believe how much came off the page itself without going into the great detail, you know, yeah, like yeah. like a novel might. Less is more. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It really is, less is more. But, it, you know, something like Taxi Driver, again, it goes back to what I said before, the the script gives him room to do what he's got to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, years ago I was in LA when we were working on Green Street. Yeah. And I was at a meet, I got, we had a meal with a load of script writers they'd introduced me to. I had no idea who any of them were, and they were sitting around mo- moaning about what a terrible time writers had and all that sort of stuff, and how they were undervalued. And someone made the made a point, and it just I said, but somebody told Arnold Schwarzenegger to say, "I'll be back." He didn't make it up, you know. Yet he's the one who gets the fame for that line, <coughs> and that's where everything's wrong because there was an episode of The Simpsons once where all the writers went on strike, on Itchy and Scratchy. And all you had was just the the cat and the mouse just standing there staring at the screen. And all of a sudden, one of them just shrugged his shoulders. And it said everything about how important a writer actually is, but how undervalued they are.
0: I mean, there there definitely seems to be um, a difference in value of a writer if it's a theatre play or a TV play. Yeah, definitely. From a, from a film screenplay, there it seems to be the writer seems to have more autonomy or authority. I don't know what the word right word would be compared to, like you say, with a film script. You're you're basically handing to a director to make a film because obviously, a film when a film comes out, it, it rarely says you know an Aaron Zorkin film. It will say it's a David Fincher film. Oh yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. But that's as writers we've allowed ourselves to do. For that to happen. I don't, and I don't mean that in any big, you know, grandiose thing because scre- screenwriting is still very much uh, a hobby for me,
0: mm.
1: you know, because I still don't understand how, you know, I've done two features now. I've got two, well, at least one sk- slated to film next year, maybe two. Mm. And I, I can't actually understand how this happens. But when, a, when an actor like Vincent Reagan comes up to you and says, You do know this script is amazing, don't you? <laughs> It is kind of, oh, well, thank you very much. So it does kind of infer that I do actually know, I'm I'm actually doing something
0: right. The problem is I don't actually know what it is. Well, um, could you hazard a guess, though, at what maybe your years of novel writing gave you that was useful for your screenwriting, despite the fact that they're a kind of different craft?
1: um, I, I I think someone said to me years ago when they'd read The Crew that it reads like a film script. And um, and I was quite flattered by that because I'd always it was the the crew was a story which was originally written for TV. It was originally written for Linda LaPlante. Okay. And um, so all of my books, my novels, are dialogue heavy. Because I like dialogue. I'm not good on all the flat because I never trained to do it. You know, I, I'm not good on all the the flannel. You know, he walked down the windy street and the. The clouds flew past, like whatever. That's not me. I like things driven by what people do and what people say. Because it leaves the the reader the the room to kind of paint that picture in their head. You know, it's funny when we when we were filming Top Dog, a lot of people came up to me because we had a lot of extras on the set some days. And I tended to use football lads where I possibly could, because they knew I wouldn't have to teach them stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they just got on and did it. And a lot of them said, Billy doesn't look anything like I imagined him. And I was quite flattered by that because it meant that I'd done my job as a novelist. I'd given them room to kind of create a character in their head. And it was... um, I was quite pleased with that. And indeed, when, when we cast Leo, I had a difficulty with the first drafts where Leo didn't look anything like I'd always imagined Billy to be. And he didn't sound like him either. And he didn't, you know, so it, that was kind of a, a bit of an issue. It was quite difficult at first to get to grips with that. But now Leo is Billy. And I think what it, the, the key difference for me between the two disciplines is everything in a novel is in my head. Everything. And then once I send it off for for print, that's it. It's done. It's, yeah. Where with a script, I'll write a script. I'll hand it to somebody else. And it's their baby, you know. And they'll they'll have pictures in their head of who they want it to be, where it looks. I did, you know. There was one instance in Top Dog um, where I went on set, and I won't say what what it says, but it's but it's um, it was exactly as I'd imagined it, and that was a bit freaky. <laughs> and there was another scene where I sat down and watched um vincent reagan who is the the most amazing actor and ricky harnett who is also a great actor do a scene which was literally lifted out of my head and it that was really freaky because both of them performed it exactly how i'd hoped they would when i wrote it even down to the look on vincent reagan's face and that was a bit scary I think I'm
0: getting freaked out now by the. the...
1: <laughs> it really was. There was yeah. another time I was in rehearsals. So I had to walk out. Couldn't watch it. Couldn't watch what was going on. It, is My
0: that thought... because of a lot of what you're writing is trying trying to be as honest as to what you've observed? That's got you to that what you've imagined, as it were. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, uh, I, I, yeah because I, what I write is, I hope, is um, is is reality. Really, I like to get as close as you know. Most things I write. uh, have their root in real life or real experience you know it's kind of because I don't and I've had this discussion with Jonathan I don't want to write stuff about drugs because I don't know anything about drugs you know I've never done them never been interested in them same thing with guns I had enough guns in 18 years in the military so I don't want to write about people running down the street blowing you know the heads off other people but I do know about street fighting, I do know about football, I do know about certain things. So I, I can only write what I know. Be- and so I've got that basis then in kind of reality, if you like.
0: What What is it about football, hooliganism, <laughs> uh-huh. football culture, that makes it such a rich scene to dig in terms of creating stories? Um. Well, I'd
1: argue against that, really. I'd argue that hooliganism as a, as a subject isn't interesting at all. It's quite boring.
0: Okay. You know,
1: you've got a group of blokes who go somewhere, they have a fight, and they come home, and that's it. In <laughs> essence, that's it. And you can dress yeah. it up however you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's quite boring. The, 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 what makes it interesting is if it's a backstory to something else. And, and a film, like a book, like a TV show, like everything, is all about the story. You have to have a story. Mm. and um, the hooliganism stuff is just a vehicle to move it along or a subject that you dip in and out, which kind of defines why people are like they are and what um, what makes them who they are. Mm. But it's inter- visually, it's fascinating if you get it right. If you don't get it right, it can ruin your movie. And we've got a scene, one of the first scenes in Top Dog, for example, is a, a fight scene, which is set in the 1980s. And we spent so long on getting the clothes right and getting the way everybody looked right, which is really difficult, given with haircuts and stuff like that. And we know we've got it as close as we think we can, but we know it's going to get ripped to shreds because people will look at it and say, oh, that, it wasn't like that. That was rubbishness, you know. But um, we think we've done a good job a good job at it. And there'll be people who watch that, and that defines what the rest of the movie is going to be like from straight away. So, because it is a, a cult, you know they're like it's like mods, rockers, punk, all of it you've got to, you've got to get it right, but to me that's what's fascinating about it. the fact that it's this culture which is almost schizophrenic, it's a schizophrenic gang culture because you've got people just dip in and out of it all the time you know it's it's Fight club that's that's what it is, you know and and it's, that's the point people miss. they think all these guys are thick ignoramus right-wingers who, if they weren't fighting at football, would be beating their wives up. It's nothing like that at all. You know, it is, in essence, fight club.
0: Yeah, uh, well, also just generally speaking, the, the, the football culture in itself is something that, I admit, it's grown in terms of people who like football, but the kind of people that go home and away hasn't dramatically, certainly those that go away hasn't dramatically changed. Over the years, it's still a bunch of people who <laughs> go and do something that is largely illogical to a lot of people, but they still, you know, they follow their teams and that's what they do and that's how they define themselves.
1: Uh, it's um, the, it's the, the, the irrationality of following football is what makes it so interesting. Yeah. And people who don't follow football necessarily or who watch football on TV don't understand that for guys that travel, it's not even about, it's not necessarily about the football. Football is the reason for it. But it's about a day with your mates, a day on the lash, the experiences of going away, the way you get treated. You know, it is, um, it's about experience. But it's not necessarily about watching great football. If it was, you know, everybody would watch Arsenal or Man United. You know, it doesn't <laughs> explain why people who follow clubs like, you know, Hemel Town, my town, you know, you'll get 40, 50 lads go to every game. Well, why would you do that? Why do you do that? You know, it's that's not about necessarily about football. It's a part of. It's about being part of something, you know, and and that's what makes it so fascinating for me. It always has done.
0: And and was and has there never been any temptation to draw on your your eighteen years in the forces in terms of your your writing? Is that not- I've been
1: I've been asked a lot, and and it's something I've um, I've thought about. I've got a couple of ideas for things. Um, but at the moment, it's, I, I'm I'm very for, I'm in a very fortunate position. You know, don't get me wrong, where you know I've got kind of work backing up. Hmm. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, I've got about four or five scripts that, that are good scripts that have had good feedback and people really like them and stuff like that. But we're having real difficulty um, finding any money to get them made, and I find that incredibly frustrating. And I don't know if I'd be interested in writing something and then going out and trying to get it made when there's people, you know. Because to me, I'm, you know, I've never I've written about it on my blog before. I write to make money. You know, I don't want to write Gone with the Wind or, you know, The Third Man or whatever. I just well, I write to make money because if I make money, it means I can afford to go to football and I can afford to ride motorbikes and I can afford to go on holiday. And sooner or later, it means I can afford to retire. And yeah, it would be nice to have the freedom to write something spectacular. And I know one day I'll, I'll, you know, I'll write the book that I really want to write. But I'll I'll write it for me. I won't write it for anybody else. And it's it's the same with film because I find it, as I said to you before, a film script is a fluid document to me. Mm. So why would I commit three or four months writing a fluid document? about something that I think is amazing, which I then have to go and spend two years trying to convince somebody else is amazing, when all they're going to do is change it anyway. If somebody came to me and said, right, here's, you know, six million pounds, I want you to write a movie and, and we're going to make it. Well, that's the dream of everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But it's never going to happen. That doesn't mean to say, you know, if, if I get asked to write something. Um, I wouldn't give it 110% because, of course, I always will, you know. And I've got a project going with Jonathan now that we're really excited about, which has nothing to do with football. Mm. And um, everybody's really excited about We we're, we're due to film that in March. Um, and, I, you know, that'll be uh, – I'll be flat out on that. I'll give that 110% because it's an idea I really, really like. But he came to me with the idea, you know, He came to me with a pitch and I took it on to write something um, on spec again. I've done it before. I I just found it so frustrating and soul-destroying because you end up with, you know, 92, 93 pages of something that you think is absolutely amazing and it's just going to sit on somebody's desk almost forever and that's it, you know. And I've got no interest in going out and, you know, Raising money to make a film and like that sort of guy. I wouldn't even know where to begin, you know. So, like, as I said before, the film industry is an alien world to me. I don't know how it works. I, don't, I asked a lot of questions while we were making Top Dog in an effort to find out where how it worked, but I'm not really any the wiser.
0: Well, you're doing you're doing something right then if you're uh, approaching your third, your third feature film, if oh, all goes yeah, well. Yeah, some people tell, yeah, I, I, I'm obviously doing
1: something right. Yeah, you know, and I, and I'm very lucky, and people are liking what I'm doing, but I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm doing it. All I know is that for some reason it seems to be working.
0: I guess do 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 we ever know as right as when we're doing it right? You just, you just... I don't think so. I think some of it is as
1: well is because you know I'm not young. I'm not young. Yeah. You no, know, I'm I've not you know done a an MA in screenwriting. I don't understand all the you know, I understand the basics of, you know, three act formats or twelve act formats or whatever kind of you know, all that sort of nonsense. Yeah. I know all about character arcs and all that sort of stuff, but I know that through through writing novels, you know, and reading scripts. And I just write the the best script I can. Um and it and as it, it works for me. And that's you know? all
0: that matters, I think, yeah. for a writer.
1: And I I do because I it's
0: a bit about the thing to
1: say about writing but usually i get criticized by people who've never actually done anything and and that really irritates me there's a lot about the writing community and i'm not tight with the writing community you know i know probably three or four writers yeah and um and i don't i i don't get it you know I, if if you're going to talk about writing you know uh, it's the old adage. if, if Those who do do, those who can't teach. And that really bugs me. Because to me, some of the things that go on with these courses about, you know, it's li- just little more than the con. You know, just get on and do it. And if it's good enough, sooner or later you'll crack it.
0: True, true. Um, the, the question I tend to ask people, because we're, we're Britflix, is, is to get a recommendation for a film. Now, given what you write about and what your scripts have been about. Um I wondered if you could I mean your own your own stuff aside, recommend a film that covers football culture that you could recommend.
1: Oh God, it depends what you mean by football culture. I mean uh, there is a lack of football film of good football films. Mm. I mean I, I don't I'm not particularly keen on any of the, the Hooly films. Yeah. Because I, I, I tend to—that's the competition for
0: me—and
1: mm. I tend to look at them as uh, through kind of jaundiced eyes, and and I think they're getting it wrong. It goes back to this thing I said before about it's—it's it's actually quite a dull subject, and it, it's a—it's a—an engine for a vehicle. That's all it is. Mm. You need a good story. You need a better story, and um, so I—I I, I don't think—I—I I don't know if I could recommend any really. I mean. There's a dearth of football films anyway, though. You know, I've got a, I've just written a novel called Wings of a Sparrow, which is a comedy about football, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's a script about on that. There's a script floating around, and a lot of people really like the script, but everybody's saying to me, football movies don't make money, and I look at Fever Pitch and Bend It Like Beckham and all those sort of things and say, well, hang on a minute, they do, and it's the you know trying to convince them because it's not a football movie. It's tagged as a football movie, but it's not footballs a vehicle for it but it's a, it's about family and fortune and all sorts of things.
0: Exactly. I mean I watched um, Moneyball the other week. I, I don't know the first thing about baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it yeah. didn't stop me enjoying the film about Brad Pitt's character.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it it but you're trying to you're trying to convince people to, you know, we don't necessarily it's, it's this whole thing you tag it. It's it's a movie about football. Oh, so it's a football movie. Mm. No, it's not a football movie. It's a movie about family. But you said it's about football. Well, there's there's football. It's a yeah, football's <laughs> in it, but it's not about football. There's no football in it. So why is it a football movie? And it's off for fuck. You know, read read the fucking script. You know, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, um, well, it's, it's just bizarre. It's just you know. It's, uh, but but because everybody wants, you know, it's like a competition. It's a it's a war out there trying to get a bloody movie made.
0: Yeah. Did you and, ever um, see Away Days then? the adaptation of yeah, the Kevin yeah i seen
1: terms. Away Days I, I had a bit yeah I mean <laughs> oh where do we go with that um, there is I'm not flavour of the month with a lot of the the, the Hooli authors
0: yeah
1: you know? and so that we, we've kind of I've had run-ins with, with a lot of them in the past and it's kind of and I, I wouldn't be so bold as to say well I'm still here and they're nowhere else you know because that's not me but it is... Um, I watched The Way Days Through Jaundice Dies and I, I didn't actually like the book, to be honest. Oh, did you not? Know? No, I wasn't that keen on the book. It was a good book, but I wasn't keen on it. I was, I'm the same with The Football Factory. I didn't like The Football Factory, you know, because I thought the football was tacked onto it. There was a much better book in there if you took the football out because it was more of a book about society and and social issues at that time. Oh, yeah, okay. And um, so that's why I, t- I tend to... Oh, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be hard to rec- for me to recommend a, f- a film. I won't, pu- I won't push it. The best football for <laughs> film for me ever <laughs> was Looking for Eric. Okay. You know, because it's just it's a, it it was just such a marvelous movie, and Eric Cantona was just amazing in it. It just cracked me up. And I, I like movies that are kind of. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick a football movie, it would be Looking for Eric.
0: That'll do. That's a British film as well, so that all works. film.
1: Absolutely great film.
0: And then finally then, you've got The the World is Your Oyster, the £6 million is put to one side, and you can reboot any film. What would you relish giving giving a a rewrite on the script? I don't think you should
1: ever rewrite a script. I don't think you should ever remake a movie. um, How many remakes have ever actually done, have, have actually been better than the original? You know, and if and if you've got a duff movie, why well, would you want to remake it anyway? You know, I, I, it's not as if there's a lack of stories, is it? No. You know, I, I I I think if you're looking to remake a movie, that's a lack of inventiveness on somebody's part, to me. You know, it really is. I've never I've never seen a, a remake I like because it's always judged against the original, and the original will always be better, for my mind.
0: Fair enough, sir. Fair enough. Well, look, thank you very much for your time taking part in the Britflitz podcast.
1: My pleasure, absolutely. My pleasure.
0: Uh, and when, when, when if, is as Top Dog finished filming now? Has it? Yeah,
1: Top Dog's finished now. Um, so I think when, this, there's a few pickup the- shots to do, um, but um, yeah, it's, it's we're wrapped. It's done. And next next time I see it will be some rough cut somewhere, which is going to be quite an experience. Um, yeah, I, I think that if we watch it in a screening room, I'll be like sitting in a corner by myself. It's um, kind of freaking out.
0: Well, <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, look, we'd we really love to have you back on again near the time if you want to. If we want yeah, to like, follow the story, anytime. I mean, just uh, drop us a tweet or an email, and um, I'm sure we can arrange something quite quickly. Yeah, anytime. It'd just be great just... to follow the story. In fact, it, that'd be an interesting thing to do if we, if you'd be interested. You know, we could follow the the, the story. You know, you've now finished filming and... Um, we could follow the as it as it hits the theatres, as it were.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, because it's, uh, I, I, like I say, you know, the film industry is an alien being to me. I've got no idea how anything works. And I, I'm imagining now that someone's sitting in a room editing it away and then at some point I'll get to see it and then it, there'll be some more editing and then I'll get to see it again. But I, I've... No idea. It's it's a you know it's quite an it's been quite an exciting journey. I've got to say.
0: Well, I mean, you keep saying you've got no idea, but you think that there's a famous quote, and I'll paraphrase it from uh, William Goldman, who basically said nobody's got a clue what they're doing. Yeah, and and
1: to be fair, you know, and and I know you spoke to him. um, What Jonathan is doing is is quite amazing because he doesn't he's not kind of following convention. He's chasing whatever can work. Mm. And uh, and um, long may he continue, you know, it's, um, because I'm quite happy to be sitting on his coattails and being dragged along. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> All right, sir. So, well, look, thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck with the rest of uh, Top Dog and the other projects you're working on.
1: Thank you very much, Stuart.
0: Take care, Dougie. Bye bye. It's the Britflix.com podcast. It's the com podcast. Save big on brunch for mom—all in the Kroger app.